Welcome back to The Doctor is In with Dr. Nadia Sabe. I'm Dana Swedan from the Dr. Greenhouse team, back with Nadia to talk about CEA, COVID, and how air quality influences both. Thank you for joining us. So last we talked to you, COVID's effects were mere speculation. It's been some months now. So how has COVID affected the CEA industry over these past few months from your perspective? Uh, you know, the control environment ag industry has in a lot of ways done fairly well these last eight months since the pandemic started, whether people are growing cannabis or people are growing vegetables and even ornamentals. Uh, a lot of uh, people who are cultivating plants in greenhouses and indoors have been doing quite well. I think there was a lot of concern when the pandemic started that the demand for flowers, uh, Mother's Day and Easter were coming up when the pandemic started. And so there are a lot of nursery growers who are concerned that people wouldn't buy flowers um, for those holidays. And certainly I think there was a dip at that time. But since then, people have been gardening a lot. People have been looking for beauty at home and have actually increased their demand for ornamentals and nursery crops to beautify their homes and grow their own produce at so home. Exactly, exactly. And so I think there's actually been a boon um, to even that part of the industry that is not necessarily considered essential because it's not food or medicine. Uh, the cannabis industry has, you know, fared quite well. Uh, cannabis in most of the states where it's been legal has been deemed essential medicine. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the cannabis industry and cultivators um, have, you know, been keeping up with the demand, even an increase in demand as people are staying home and are maybe even experimenting more uh, or looking for alternatives to alcohol. Um, so uh, for, for producers of food, uh, greenhouse growers uh, cultivating tomatoes or indoor vertical farmers growing lettuce crops. They have also um, seen an increase in demand in part due to uh, local, um, a demand for local produce. Uh, and so vertical farmers who are serving their local communities are also doing pretty well. We've also seen some really interesting strides by vertical farmers and greenhouse growers to participate in food programs, um, giving uh, more of their remaining produce or overstock to food banks or to school nutrition uh, and, and meal programs. And so they are finding other ways to serve their local communities other than just selling their produce. And so this has been a really interesting time for cultivators of indoor crops um, to serve their local communities and provide fresh produce and nutrition and medicine, um, you know, in their region. Yeah, that makes sense, especially to like these, like we keep hearing unprecedented, but in these unprecedented times to kind of see where the industry would go. So because of increased distribution or just more interest in general, have you seen any increased areas of risk in the CEA industry? Um, 
you know, I don't know if I've necessarily seen increased risk in the CEA industry. Uh, I think, you know, most, most growers, you know, growers who are growing vegetables, who are growing fresh produce, they already are under a lot of regulations with, uh, with GAP and GMP and FDA and USDA requirements um, for food safety. Uh, and to um, you know, sell their produce, uh, they have to meet all these other government regulations already. Yeah. Uh, with cannabis, you know, they, we, we all know how much rigorous lab testing there is to make sure that they are also, that the, the products that they're selling are also um, you know, safe for human consumption. Mm -hmm. And so that has been something that's been really interesting for me to watch during this pandemic is that I've seen so many parallels related to what indoor farmers and greenhouse growers have already been doing to mitigate their risks associated with with air quality and um, food safety and what we're seeing with COVID and the pandemic and the recommendations that are being uh, suggested and the strategies for reducing the risk to people of of poor air quality yeah. so just because so much of both covid risk and cea needs have to do with air quality have you seen any similarities between the recommendations of either or both of these uh yeah actually so you know there's there's all sorts of covid uh task forces ashray the american society for heating refrigeration and air conditioning uh, launched a task force back back in April uh, to look at strategies associated with, you know, HVAC systems and how to mitigate the risks associated with uh, transferring and transmitting the COVID virus that is airborne. And a lot of the recommendations that I'm seeing come out recently and a lot of the studies that have been shown are things that a lot of greenhouse growers and indoor farmers are implementing already to reduce the risk to their plants. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're seeing those same recommendations to reduce the risk to people in their everyday environments. And so I have found that really fascinating. And if growers aren't implementing those uh, strategies, we frequently recommend them. So some of these recommendations specifically around air quality have to do with having good filters, um, having good airflow, um, the direction of the airflow, as well as having access to outside air. Uh, you know, we, we have a, a video out there of the seven reasons why I recommend having access to outside air and reducing the, you know, the, the potential concentration of viruses or, and molds is one of those reasons. We can basically dilute the air with better ventilation. And this is one of those recommendations from ASHRAE and from these COVID task force forces is that if you have better access to outside air, more air exchange with the outside, so more outside air ventilation, we can dilute the air and we can reduce the transmission risk of the virus that might be in a given space. I mean, that's also partly why we have social distancing, right? Is that we create the separation of air between you and me so that, um, 
you know, there, there's more of an airspace between us. And if one of us happens to have COVID and happens to breathe it out, the other person is less likely to be in its path. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. So are there um, any major sources you can think of, like major sources of contamination in CEA? Yeah. So, uh, you know, most of the time growers, when it comes to contamination on the plant, are dealing with airborne or waterborne um, uh, microorganisms. So in the air, you know, a lot of growers deal with botrytis and powdery mildew, um, as well as insects. There are some viruses and viroids, but those are very rare in indoor plant environments. On the water side, um, there's also uh, microorganisms that can cause root rot and root disease. Um, and so, you know, when you think about it with a plant, we want to treat both the air to try to remove or dilute the potential contaminants in the air and in the water system, we also want to treat the water. And we do that a lot of times, you know, with particle filters and charcoal filters and UV or ozone to kill anything that's left behind. And in the air, you know, we recommend first and foremost particle filters. MERV 11, MERV 13 filters are really good at removing particles of the size of a mold spore like powdery mildew. Now, HEPA filters, I, I do wanna say something, you know, HEPA filters, if you really are interested in filtering out viruses, very small particles like viruses and bacteria, then you do need a HEPA filter. And so coronavirus is a virus. So if that is something that is a concern within your facility, or maybe even just the human spaces, the primarily people uh, occupied spaces in your facility, <laughs> ironically, that's where I would recommend a HEPA filter as opposed to a HEPA filter in the actual indoor plant environment. So, um, you know, again, similar sorts of recommendations when we're talking about COVID, a virus, and controlled environment, agriculture, molds, and um, other potential contaminants. So other than air quality, are there any other strategies growers can use to minimize these types of contamination risks? Yeah, there are so many opportunities. So one thing, you know, I've talked about ventilation and I've talked about air filtration but a couple of the others that have to do specifically with the air include the movement and directionality of air. You know, a lot of growers do struggle with getting good air distribution and good air movement across their plants, but also the issue of moving air from, from point A to point B. And ideally, we want point A to be cleaner than the air at point B, so that if we're moving air from a clean space, we then want to move it to a dirtier space. We don't want to bring dirty air into what we would consider the clean area. So for me personally, when I think about controlled environment agriculture and I think about, you know, protecting the plant's health and productivity, I consider that air to be the cleanest air. That's the air that I want to be the cleanest. And anything that's exterior to that production space would be dirtier air because that's where people are moving around the most. That's maybe where, you know, the work tables, the workbenches are located or the water treatment is located 
where the mechanical equipment is located. I don't want to bring that dirty air into the clean space where I'm producing my plants if I can help it. And so directionality is a big piece of that. And with COVID, there haven't been as many studies as I would have expected, at least not published yet. But there have been a couple that have shown that when people are downstream of the air conditioner, of the flow of air conditioning, that they are more likely to contract the coronavirus if someone is sitting closer to that air conditioner. So let's just say you have, you know, um, a fan coil unit sitting on a wall and then there's, you know, a person who's sitting at a desk or at a table underneath that air conditioner and then there's people sitting further downstream from that person. If that person next to the air conditioner has coronavirus, then the people downstream of the air are more likely to contract it than if they had been right next to the air conditioner. Mm -hmm. So we have literally transferred quote unquote dirty air to clean airspace. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so that's absolutely a strategy that um, growers can utilize to direct the clean air to where they want it to go and the dirty air. So, um, you know, in addition to things you can do specifically with the air, there's also things that you can do to clean the air. So there's air purifiers that are out there, uh, UVV and ozone. Uh, UVV mostly produces ozone um, as a way to kill any contaminants in the air. And we would recommend really only using those on, you know, the leaving stream of air uh, where people and plants aren't gonna be exposed to that ozone um, or in between harvests, in between crops, um, where nobody's occupying that space for 24 hours and you can run an ozone system uh, in that space. So, you know, that's kind of general sanitation of the space. But then there's also personal hygiene. You know, I, I have always been an advocate that air doesn't transfer mold, people transfer mold. You know, a lot of growers, a lot of people who work at grow facilities have their own gardens at home. And those gardens are probably not controlled to the same level and might have aphids, might have botrytis, might have some other contaminant that if they don't clean themselves properly before they come into the facility can transfer those biocontaminants to the plants that are being highly controlled. So having good sanitation, just like the recommendations of how to wash our hands, to wash our hands frequently, to wipe the things down that we bring home from the grocery store before we put them in the fridge or before we put them in the cabinet. Same exact idea. Definitely. We are trying to prevent bringing into our home contaminants from the outside, just like we're trying to prevent contaminants coming into our indoor plant environment. Um, you know, I, I've already touched a little bit on water treatment, but I think one of the other interesting parallels that I come up with is social distancing. So, you know, can social distance the plants? <laughs> we can social distance the plants. Exactly. Thank you. So, yeah, you know, the equivalent of social distancing in the indoor plant environment is plant spacing by by increasing the spacing of your plants 
you're less likely to have humidity control issues, airflow issues, and ultimately contamination issues because there's enough space between the plants and the leaves that they can breathe literally and grow to be healthier and probably bigger too because they have the space and more access to light and nutrients. Um, and I know that there's a lot of, you know, we've worked with a lot of growers both in cannabis as well as in vertical farms where growers are trying to stuff in as many plants as possible, whether you call it a sea of green or whether you're growing, you know, four plants per square foot of, of lettuce. Um, by cramming all those plants together, you make them all more susceptible to contamination, more susceptible to growing with less quality and less vigor. Um, and so, uh, yeah, implementing socially distanced plants can really help with the production and quality of your crop. That's, I mean, it all makes sense. I, I just really like the parallels of the social distancing. Yeah. Because I guess we all benefit from a little space. Right? <laughs> yes, um, we can. So, you know, we're talking a lot about air quality. How does air affect the plant health? And it's productivity specifically, uh, because I know growers are looking to improve air quality, but how does air, how does air affect? Well, you know, the air has several properties. One is, you know, what we specialize in, of course, is temperature and humidity and controlling those parameters uh, to maximize photosynthesis and maximize growth and just make sure that the plant um, has, has good metabolic and photosynthetic activity. Um, in addition to that, you know, there's carbon dioxide, which is a constituent of air and increasing CO2 does increase photosynthesis, especially if you also increase the temperature and light level uh, given to the plant. Okay. Uh, additionally, you know, just the things that we've been talking about, you know, dust and smoke and mold spores and bacteria and viruses and other gases like ethylene and formaldehyde, all of those things can affect the health and productivity of the plant. You know, there's a lot of growers, indoor growers who are rural, who are next to other farms that are concerned about drifting pollen into their facility that could, you know, hermaphrodite their female cannabis plants. Uh, other growers are concerned about pesticides drifting from a field farm and getting into their indoor farm and then they don't pass a lab test because all of a sudden they have this pesticide residue that they never used. And so controlling the air quality, again, having filters on the outside air um, can help to prevent and avoid bringing those other contaminants that are outside of your control from coming in. And you know, earlier, you know, I am a big advocate for having access to outside air for many, many reasons. And again, people are afraid of outside air because of these other things that might be out of their control that they could bring in. But again, if you have good filters, then um, you know, you shouldn't have to worry so much. And in addition, just by having that ventilation, if you had a contamination issue, if actually something happened, if your CO2 level got really high or you did have powdery mildew, by having access to outside air, you now have the opportunity to dilute that air and exchange 
that contaminated air inside the space with fresh outside air outside of your building. You've talked about um, ventilation, you've mentioned air filtration, uh, you've talked about air direction. Um, a little bit more about building pressurization would be, uh, I would be interested to hear more about that, but also I think you mentioned monitoring. Are there any types of monitoring systems that you have in mind? Or? Yeah, thank you for asking the question about monitoring and control. You know, if we don't actually monitor what's going on with our plant or what's going on in the environment, then it becomes a lot harder to control um, the parameters that we're trying to control, whether that's, you know, mold spores coming in or the CO2 level or the temperature of the air. If we're not monitoring the environment, then it's a lot harder to figure out what could be going wrong or how to do better even. Um, and so just even having simple sensors, temperature, humidity, CO2, some people use gas sensors to test whether there's carbon monoxide or ethylene or any other gas contaminants in the air, not on a regular basis, but even intermittently, um, can give a fuller picture of how well their plants are gonna do in that environment. Um, so, you know, the, the other thing about monitoring is that you don't have to be in that space all the time. You don't have to send someone into that room to take the measurements. And again, people a lot of times are the vector of the contaminant. <laughs> so if you have remote sensors that can monitor the environment and you can, you and your team can be in an office with a HEPA filter, with lots of ventilation air, then you know, you have less risk of contaminating your plants and you and your employees are also in a very well ventilated and controlled environment where you're less at risk of, of contaminating yourselves. People are the vector, you say. That's right. <laughs> that is a good parallel, isn't it? It really is a great parallel because I know even in my own garden, I do tend to do that with some you want to be careful, but you really want to like get up in your plant and like help it or fix it, and you just cross-contaminate things. Yep. You're bringing up humans as vectors. But you want to talk more about <laughs> how to create healthy environments for those employees, people who work in the CEA industry, or maybe in these places. And we're talking about like a lot of good ventilation. But is there anything else that growers can do to create or promote a healthy environment for their employees? Yeah, I didn't realize like I was segueing myself to such a good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's hard right now. We all, we at Dr. Greenhouse are all working remotely like most of the world is. And we have an office, a brick and mortar office that we're not occupying. And, you know, it was interesting to me because when, when we had a conversation with our landlord about kind of what to do, He asked a question that ironically hadn't thought about. And he said, do you feel unsafe in the office? And I was like, oh, you know, that is a really good question. And so I started to think about it. And we do have two closed door offices and we have an open office. And so you would think on the surface, oh, you have closed door offices. People can just work in there and socially distance from themselves but we actually have the same air conditioning unit serving all of the four spaces in, 
in our office. Okay. And so the air, we're sharing the air. So even though we are not in the same room together, we are sharing the air that we breathe because it's recirculating that air um, from all of the rooms. And so, you know, that would be the first thing to check is the rooms where you have people working, are they on a common system? Could they be sharing air even if they think that they're socially distancing from themselves? Do they have access to a window? Do they have access to outside air? I know we're coming in, we're in winter, coming into winter. And so the weather isn't quite as favorable for having windows open, especially if you're not in California like we are right now and it's beautiful and I'm outside and it's 65 degrees in December. Light breeze. <laughs> Perfect day for a walk. Um, but, you know, still, you know, cracking that window open and just knowing that your heating energy bill is gonna be higher than normal, if that creates a more safe environment, then by all means do it. Also ask your landlords, or if you guys are the landlord of your own property, figure out what kind of filters are on those air conditioning units. Um, do you have MERS 13 filters? You know, find out if the air conditioning units that you have on site that are serving your human spaces, do they have good filters? Just like I would recommend MERV 11 or MERV 13 filters for your plant spaces, I would also recommend that you have at least MERV 13 filters for your human spaces so that they can remove as many of the contaminants as possible. Um, you know, another thing is, you know, there, there has been a big push in the HVAC industry for energy efficiency. And based on that energy efficiency, ventilation rates um, have not been reduced, but there is a minimum code requirement for ventilation. And so you can't reduce the amount of outside air below that level. But what, what you can see is that increasing the amount of ventilation air can have a penalty on energy use, right? So if it's a really hot day and you bring in a lot of outside air, then you need bigger compressors and a bigger air conditioner to handle you know, all that heat coming in from outside. On the flip side, as we're going into winter right now, if you bring in a lot of cold outside air, then you need more heating. Then you need a bigger heater to manage that cold air that's coming in. And so there's always been sort of this struggle um, about, out, you know, this struggle around outside air versus energy. And that discussion, that debate is occurring again right now in the face of COVID where everyone recognizes that dilution and filtration and having more ventilation air improves the, you know, or, or reduces the risks of COVID, but at the same time, you're gonna be using more energy to use that outside air. And so that cost benefit is something that landlords, something that engineers are going to be faced with now and for the foreseeable future. That's um, the thing, these are kind of, these changes aren't going anywhere. So are these gonna have to be changes that like get put into ventilation policy? That is a really great question. And I can't wait 
for the conversation <laughs> to continue in our own organization because it is going to be a rager of yeah. a debate. Uh, and, you know, right now filtration companies are booming, of course, um, because everybody wants clean air, mm -hmm. and that's great. Um, but uh, what's going to happen when we want more outside air? I mean, it could be really interesting. I mean, there could be some new innovative technology that comes out that can use, that can deliver outside air. Maybe it passes through a heat exchanger so that, you know, you don't have to use all the heat to heat up all that air, but you can use some other, you know, secondary source of heat to preheat that air. Um, and, and so I think there's gonna be a lot more creativity about energy recovery, about heat transfer and heat exchangers to reuse waste heat before we use new heat, so to speak. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Necessity is the mother of innovation. Uh -huh. so these new requirements or new recommendations would kind of place new pressure to... Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Good point. So, thank you so much for talking to us today. I'm sure there will be plenty more questions about outside air, about COVID, uh, that we can cover here with you some more. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. This is my pleasure. I've been thinking about this for a long time, this topic, and I'm excited to finally air it out. <laughs> <laughs> I could never top that. So on that note.